Um, hey, so if you have a Bible or your phone with you, um, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah is a short book towards the end of the Old Testament where we have the minor prophets. So if you get to Daniel, um, just hang a right and you'll find it br- quickly. If you get to Matthew, go, go left. Um, as you are turning or typing in Jonah chapter 2, just a little bit of recap from last week. This is a, a very familiar, one of the most familiar Bible stories. Um, but it's, it's far more uh, complex um, and layered than, than it's often presented in, in Sunday school situations. And so last week we have the prophet Jonah, who we, we can also read about in 2 Kings 14, um, who is given a word from the Lord to go and minister, to preach repentance um, to Nineveh, and he decides to go in the exact opposite um, direction. Like it's just out and out rebellion, and he heads, instead of east, he heads west. Um, and, and in that, a storm comes as he's on a boat, and ultimately it's revealed that the storm is due to his sin and rebellion, and the sailors, um, not knowing what else to do, eventually throw him overboard. And in the last verse of chapter 1, we're told that he was swallowed by a great fish. And so we're kind of left with this cliffhanger, right? That, that an audience who was hearing this, right, would have had a lot of kind of just guttural, vitriolic, like, angst towards Nineveh. They were an enemy. Um, the Assyrians were an enemy of Israel. But they would also be wrestling and struggling with the fact that a prophet would rebel, would tell God no. And so they would probably envision this, this fish coming up as divine wrath and justice and punishment. And, and we, we talked about this in regards to a kid um, in the restaurant telling his dad no. And then you're kind of watching and say, okay, how's dad going to handle this? That would kind of be where we're at so far in Jonah. And so let's pick up in verse 1 of Jonah chapter 2. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain, and I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O my Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so in chapter 2, we have this shift from kind of prose, right, telling the story into poetry. And in chapter 2 really reads reminiscent of a psalm as, as Jonah is recounting his experience. Right? It's the same thing that we would do right? if you are artistic at all. Um, in a difficult season of life, a difficult circumstances, 
that you might write a poem, that you might write a song. If you don't have those abilities, that you have a playlist of songs that, that seem to speak directly to where your heart or where your mind is in, in difficult seasons. Right? That we, we tend to go to music. And so Jonah chapter 2 is poetry attempting to capture the emotion of what's going on. And we would expect, right, the scene last week was him being picked up and thrown into the, the stormy seas, right? And a fish out of nowhere, right, like swallowing him up. You're, you're in, envisioning a very panicked situation, right? That we're not sure, are we going to go to the sailors as they watch this happen? Are we going to get Jonah's perspective? Like, but it feels like one of those scenes of chaos, and yet instead what we get is everything slows down, it calms down, and we begin to get Jonah's reflection from the belly of the fish. Right? We see in verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Like that, He's now in the fish, and He is recounting, remembering, right? reflecting upon the fact that the Lord has saved him from drowning. We see this in verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. Right? He's describing being in the water. If you go to verses five, verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. Um, verse 7, when my life was fainting away, like he is in the water, he's under the water, he's drowning, right? And he's crying out, and then he is swallowed by this fish. And so he's now recounting the rescue from what would have been certain death, the expectation that there would be death, right? And, and he re- references Sheol, right? This, this idea in the Old Testament of separation from God, right? That, that it would have been a, a place where he would have been in his mind, away from God. And so you can imagine him now asking the question, both spiritually and literally, how did I end up here? Right, like that he's in the belly of a fish. You're asking the question, how did this happen? This is unique and unusual. But also spiritually, you can imagine him going, man, how did I end up in a place where I was willing to tell God no? And not only was I willing to tell God no, I got on a ship and paid money to run from him. That, that, that sailors that I didn't know had to pick me up to throw me into the water. Like, how did I end up here? And yet, Jonah 2 is not really a depressive psalm. It, there's a lot of gratitude in it. And he's affirming some things about the character of God. Look in verses 2 and verse 7. He's affirming that God hears and answers prayers. Verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. He goes on, you heard my voice. And then we see in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Right, like that He's affirming that God hears and He responds and He answers when we cry out in distress. He's also going to affirm that God is absolutely in control. Right? This scene last week was, was the sailors kind of begrudgingly picking him up and throwing him in. They tried to, roll, to row back to shore. 
but in the end they throw him in, asking for God's forgiveness, believing this is what the Lord actually had wanted. And listen to what Jonah says. For you cast me into the deep. Well, we know literally the, the sailors picked him up and threw him in. But he's, he's seen this now from a more spiritual perspective of, God, I'm in the water because of you. You've, you've done this. They were tools in your hands. They were instruments, but you have done this. Look at verse 6. Right? Like, you have brought my life up. Like, you've rescued me. Verse 10. The Lord spoke to the fish, right? And, and he sped out. We see in verse 3 again, all your waves and all your bills. Like, he is saying, God, you're in control of this whole thing. The reason I'm in the water, my rescue in the water, my, my getting out of the belly of the fish, all of these things are in your control because you are sovereign and you have done this. And so we, he's affirming that God hears and answers, that God is in control, and that God is the one who saves. Right? Verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. And we know this is true both physically as well as spiritually. It's why when, when children right, are born into Redeemer, we're giving thanks to God who gives life. But we always say it's not just physical life. God is also the one who gives spiritual life. He's the one that rescues, the one who saves. And so Jonah here is saying, God has saved me quite physically and literally, but because I'm going to see Him rightly, He's also saved me spiritually. Right? Both of these things are taking place. So the question that we, we kind of posed last week is one of the things that Jonah is going to help us wrestle with. Um, is God punishing Jonah here? And, and, and then to extend that out further to us, right? does God punish us in our sin? Right? It's a question that you'll hear folks wrestle with and ask because Jonah clearly sees the whole situation from God's hand and he is expressing gratitude here. And yet an audience who would have been reading this or hearing this would have said, Jonah's getting what he deserves right when he's thrown into the sea because he's rejected and rebelled and run from God. And he's being swallowed. Like That's just like a little added unique punishment. right? Like That would have been the initial thought. So let's, let's ask that question. Is God punishing Jonah here? And we need to consider um, the way that Scripture is going to talk about um, the effect of sin and God's interaction with it in the world. So first and foremost, God set the world in motion, and there's some laws and order to it, right? There's just some natural consequences, right? That if you stand up right now and with all your speed run into a brick wall, right? You naturally are going to hurt and regret that decision, right? That there's there's a series of there's wisdom and there's foolishness in the world, right? Um, we have like the laws of, of science, like gravity, right? Like that there's just some natural order and consequence that happens. And when you try to move outside of that or press on the bounds of it, pain comes your way typically, right? Um, you, you fall, you run into something, you don't wear a seatbelt, right? You're foolish. Difficulty comes, right? And so if someone was to run into that wall right now, you wouldn't go, man, God is punishing them. Right? Like there's just a consequence of running into a brick wall. The second is that because of the fall, and when we say the fall, we're not talking about the season of the year, but when, when man and woman, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, 
Things went from perfect and harmonious to broken. Right? Romans will tell us that creation itself groans, right, longing for its redemption, that it remembers things being right and perfect. And so in nature, right, we see this. Like the reason we have tornadoes and hurricanes, right? The reason we have droughts and floods. The reason the disease has entered the world, that tragedy has entered the world, that brokenness has entered the world is due to sin. Like that we have rebelled against God as humanity. And we're seeing Jonah highlighted here as an individual who's done this, but as a people, we have done this. We have rebelled against God. Creation is broken. And those things, sickness, disease, um, weather phenomena that are horrible and bring tragic results are a reminder consistently to us that the world is not as it is meant to be. It's not. That things are broken and that we need redemption and restoration, that those things are found in God's hands. In John chapter 9, right, there's, there's a, a blind individual and folks are talking about him and saying, hey God, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Like, who sinned like, so that he's blind? Like, he's being punished, right? And Jesus says, no one's sinned, right? It's so that the glory of God could be revealed. That we see that things in this world are not as they are intended to be, not as they're supposed to be, and that God is working and maneuvering in those to bring redemption, to bring restoration, and to reveal His glory to us. That we would not put our hope in this fallen and broken world, but instead in Him. And so there's some natural consequences. There's the effect of the fall, but there's also discipline. And in John chapter 1, it says this, that as it's talking about Jesus stepping into the world, John 1 says this, um, he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. This is verse 11. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so what John is telling us is, listen, are we all the children of God in that we were created? Yes. Are we all the children of God in that we belong to Him? Not by birth, we're not. That we need rescue, we need redemption, we need salvation. And those who believe in Him, who trust Him, have the right to become adopted sons and daughters of the King. They belong to Him. They're children of God. And so then Hebrews 12 teaches us that God disciplines His children. Let's go to Hebrews 12 for a moment. It says this in verse 4, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves. He chastises every son whom He receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, right, as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which you've all participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not that much more be subject to the Father 
of spirits and live. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we might share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so we see that there are natural consequences, we see that there are the effects of a fallen world, but there is also the discipline of a loving God in our lives for those who are the children of God, who have trusted in Jesus, that He has done this. And so there are times where there is pain in your life. We're going to come back to this in a moment. And it is God disciplining you, bringing you back to Himself. But if, there are, if we have the right to become children of God, then that means there are some who aren't children of God yet or ever. And in that case, there is punishment. There is judgment. Right? That if we die outside of belonging to Jesus, then we are judged in our sins alone with no protection, with no protector, right? With no one caring or, or, or looking out, we stand there guilty, punished, and judged. Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing, right? Fearful and awesome thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Jonah is experiencing that, right? Like it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But what Jonah's experiencing is, is not punishment, it is discipline. And so how much more would it be fearful to fall into the hands of a living God if you have rejected and rebelled against Him for the totality of your life? And you now stand before Him guilty with no advocate, with no one to defend. And so punishment and judgment come. Listen, Jonah was guilty. He was guilty. But God is showing grace and mercy and it is undeserving. Jonah does not has not earned it, can't keep it, but he is being given it by God. Because it's pointing us to Jesus. Right? Like that Jesus comes and lives the life we were meant to. Like where, where Jonah was told, hey, go preach repentance to your enemies. Jonah says no. Jesus is sent to preach repentance to those of us who are His enemies because we've rebelled against Him. And it would mean His death. Jonah's death was a possibility because it was His enemy. For Jesus, it was promised. It was guaranteed. And yet Jesus comes and lives a life of faithful obedience, honoring in every situation, in every circumstance. And then He takes the wrath of God, the punishment of God for sin upon Himself so that you don't have to be punished, so that you don't have to stand without an advocate. Jesus does this. Listen to how Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He simply says in verse 21, For our sake He made Him, meaning Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That there's an exchange that takes place. He takes our sin, we get His innocence. His righteousness, His perfection, so that we are now children of God, belonging to Him, disciplined by a good Father, but no longer in fear of judgment 
and punishment. It's what Jesus has done to those who are undeserving. He has given grace and mercy to the guilty. And so, as we look at Jonah 2, we see a really, really familiar scene. Listen to verse 2 again. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And if you go to verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. How many of us has been, that's been our experience, right? That when we were in desperate need, when all hope was lost, we were like, oh yeah, I remember God now. And then we ask for help. Right? We we're going to do it on our own. We're going to do our own thing. Ah, uh, it seems out of my control. I just got swallowed by a giant fish. Okay, God, I need help. Right? Like it's in our distress. It's in our fear. It's as our life is fainting away that we then cry out. And so this is an opportunity for us this morning to check our own circumstances, to look at our own life and our own situation and ask, what is it that God is doing? Because in this scene, I want you to see what some of the graces are. The storm that came from God that created this whole situation was a grace. Because Jonah didn't get away. He didn't get to, he didn't get to succeed in his rebellion. He was caught and he was exposed. Now listen, a storm at sea doesn't feel like a grace. But in this situation, it's a grace. Being swallowed by a giant fish doesn't sound like a grace, and yet it was a means of rescue. Being vomited by said fish out onto the shore, once again, does not feel like a grace. And yet, in this situation, in this scene, it's a grace because he is, right? He couldn't get out of the fish. So the storm, the fish, the vomit, they're all graces. Listen to how God talks about his people. This is Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. He's talking to his people. Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you'll not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Right? That, that what we're seeing is this lived out, that God is rescuing, He is with in the midst of horrific circumstances that is actually grace being poured out upon Jonah. And so maybe you have been in this situation, right, where you would look at circumstances or situations where you're like, God, are you out to get me? And then after the fact, you look back and you're like, oh, God was rescuing me. That was, that was grace and that was kindness. And in the moment, I thought He was out to get me. That He was trying to ruin me. Right in Luke, as we just left that, we, we, as we talked about the one who builds his house on the sand and the storms come and it gets washed away, the other builds his house upon the rock, which is on, upon Jesus, and guess what? The storms still come, but the house stands. Right? The circumstances weren't great, but the house remains. And so the fish is grace. The fish is also rescue, but the fish is discipline. Right? And so as, as it's rescue, as it's grace, and as it's discipline, it is a severe kindness. 
that God is gracious enough to see you and to put severe kindness into your life. To lift your chin, to change your direction, to get your attention. So, Jonah had a couple of options here. When God brings severe kindness into our life, does it release us from what holds us or from what we have our hands on? Does it pry our fingers off and develop trust? Or does it embitter us that God is out to get us? Right, Jonah, in this moment, you could imagine this psalm being, God, like, was this really necessary? And him railing against the God, ignoring the grace that's been poured out in his life. But instead, he is reminded of the character and the nature and the grace and the goodness and the undeserving mercy. And he is expressing gratitude, saying, God, you've rescued me. And this is not an ideal situation. But you've saved me. Like, you have done this. I didn't do it. You have done it. If we go down to verse 8, Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What's he telling us? He's like, listen, there are things that we, we put our hope and our trust and our dependence and our world in, and they are powerless to save us. They are powerless to rescue us. And he said, if we put our hope in those things, then we are giving up a hope of steadfast love, of a God who would redeem and rescue. In Jeremiah, we see this. This is Jeremiah chapter 2. He says this, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed, they've made out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah is saying a very similar thing to Jonah here. That if we forsake God, if we say, I don't want you, I'll do my own thing, those own things fail us. And they break. And he, he gives us the imagery of like trying to pick up a cistern to drink and we're getting dirt from it. Right? Because it's broken and it holds no water. And he's like, but the fountain of living water, you've rejected, you've forsaken and so, folks, for all of us, we have forsaken Jesus and we have made things to satisfy us. We've made things to give us meaning. We've made things to hold on to. And then those things fail us. And what Jonah is teaching is that that severe kindness, when God shows that cistern is broken, that idol is powerless, those are graces because then we turn and we see that we do have a Savior. We do have a Rescuer. That we have a God who will meet our needs and is even when we're undeserving of them. And so how do we tend to run and rebel like Jonah? In the same way he did, we ignore God's Word. And so for some of us here today, you are running from God. You know what He wants. You know what He's called you to. You know what the Scriptures say, and yet you're saying, not your way, God mine. My cistern is just fine, thank you. My idol is just fine. Thank you. And we create for us idols that we believe we can control. And then when circumstances hit, 
right? And we remember, oh, we need God. And in that moment, do we see that it is grace and severe kindness from Him, or does it embitter us? So let's go back to our, our scene last week of a parent right, being defied by a child in a restaurant. And the question we need to ask this, is it loving or is it cruel for a parent to remove a lesser thing from their child to give them a greater thing? Like if they're creating tears, frustration, yelling, aggravation to take this lesser thing to say, no, 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 here's a better thing. Is that cruel or is it loving? For God here to pry Jonah's fingers off his own control, his own identity, his own things, to say, no, 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 what you need is me. Because your way is going to lead to death. My way leads to life. Is that loving or is it cruel for him to bring severe kindness into his life? Is it loving or is it cruel to cause temporary pain or discomfort in your child that actually is aiding in their protection? I've told you this before, but um, we live on Somerville, and all of our kids, right, have had different levels of interest in the street. Um, and because there's a median out there, people tend to think that Somerville means like there's like these like um, barriers, like you can't, you can just drive fast. And so I feel like an old man out in the street sometimes, right? You know, like you know, like wanting to yell at people if they because my kids want to play in the front yard. And so some of them have been warned with words, and that's been sufficient. Some of them have needed more firm reminding that there are dangers in the street. And so it's meant like we had a lock on the inside of our door so you couldn't leave. Or you might get a, a busting if you're out in the street. Like out in the, why? Because that pain and discomfort and you feeling controlled is keeping you alive. And so is it loving of Carmen and I to do that, or was it cruel? Is it loving or is it cruel of God to create temporary discomfort so that our fingers would be pried off things that will lead to our destruction? That's the question that Jonah is wrestling with that we have to wrestle with. And I hope that, that our, where we would come is that it doesn't embitter us, it frees us that God is pursuing us, giving love and grace and mercy that we don't deserve to rescue us. And so what it means this morning, that if you belong to God, there has not been an ounce of meaningless, purposelessness, I'm going to have another word this week, or random unfairness to any pain in your life. That God has used every ounce of it for your good. It also means you may not understand why. You may not, on this side of heaven, really ever understand why to the depth or to the significance of, oh, God, that felt like a little much, but He promises us, I'm refining you and I don't leave you in the fire a second too long. Do we trust that He is doing it for our good? 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, light and momentary are the trials, right, the afflictions of this life compared to the surpassing, overwhelming weight of glory that is coming for us. That there will be a day that you will look back on this life and say all the loss and all the sickness and all the difficulty and all the struggle and all the suffering and all the pain is nothing 
compared to what I have from God. That is not a way to make light of your suffering or pain this morning. It's the, the, the deeper and the more significant that it is for that verse to be true, how much glory is coming. Right? It's not meant to make light your suffering. It's meant to hold up the significance of what God has for us. And that He is moving and working for our good in the midst of our circumstances. So church, this morning as we are confronted with this, we have the same couple of responses as Jonah that we can trust and depend and lean in and see Him rightly or we can become embittered and say, God, you're just picking on me and become hard-hearted and continue to move from Him. And when we take heart in this, then in Jonah 2 we see God saving sinners. Jonah has not looked great so far, right? In chapter 1, he, he has not looked great. And yet, as a guilty, undeserving person, God is merciful, although he's guilty. And God is merciful to us this morning, although we are guilty. Look at verse 6. What a dramatic change of direction. He's describing drowning. At the roots of the mountains, I went down into the land whose bars closed upon me forever, describing death. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. Oh my God, oh my Lord, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And he then ends in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. He's picturing sinking, drowning, dying, and God says, nope, and rescues him. What a picture for what has happened in your life if you know Jesus this morning. That you were running from Him and He said, nope, you're mine. No more death, no more destruction. You belong to Me. You belong to Me. Both the pagans on the boat and Jonah both prayed, both prayers were heard, both were delivered, and they all responded. Like He's saying, like you pray and ask God to do this, God's going to do this. Doesn't matter if you're a prophet who's rebellious. Doesn't matter if you're a pagan on a boat. God responds. So I want to encourage us with one final verse. This is from Hebrews as well, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why are we able to find grace? and mercy in time of need when we say we are fainting, we are falling, we are destroyed because Jesus is alive to hear our prayers. Because Jesus has lived the life we needed, has died the death that we deserved, has defeated our enemies of sin, Satan, and death, and today is sitting, looking, refining, disciplining, loving, bringing us in. That we would see Him and trust Him, make much of Him, that Jesus is who we need. And He is kind enough to pry our fingers off of things that will destroy us, even if it causes pain. Because He's good and He can be trusted. So this morning, the band is going to come, right? And we're going we're to sing to this living King. We're going to make much of Him. We want our mouths and our hearts and our minds to be in agreement as we say true things. 
There'll be some folks in the back of the room if you need someone to talk to, to pray with, to wrestle with suffering and pain that's in your life right now. If you need someone to say, I, I, I want Jesus, I don't want to rebel anymore, like, talk to them. Um, the Lord's Supper is also set up around the room. For those who have earned, um, not earned, excuse me, have been given the right to become children of God, that God has saved you and rescued you, that you know you're an adopted son, adopted daughter of the King this morning, then we celebrate that by taking the, the cup and the bread, remembering that it wasn't our body that was punished. It was Jesus's. It wasn't our blood that was spilt. It was His. And we have been given free and undeserved grace and mercy at the cross. And so we make much of Jesus this morning. So we pray for us, and then you respond, whether it's standing, singing, moving, praying, taking the cup. Let's make much of Jesus. Father, we, we come dependent. Just as Jonah could not get himself out of the belly of that fish, we cannot save ourselves. So Lord, this morning, would you reveal to us, would you show us idols, broken cisterns, things that our hands are, are, are currently pried upon, that you would remove them. God, would you show us where we're rebelling, where we're saying no, where we're running from your word? God, that we would repent. Father, would we cry out and ask for help before our life is fainting away? And would we trust that you are sufficient, you are enough, that you are more than enough? So Lord, we need you. We ask you to work and to move for your glory and for our good this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.